0: I hope everyone had a happy weekend, and welcome to Episode 9 of Section Hiking the Appalachian Trail. I'm your host, John Eskelson, and I'm happy to be with you today. We are sponsored today by the Committee to Restore America's National Parks. This is an advocacy group for everyday people who want to convince Congress to eliminate the $12 billion maintenance backlog in our national parks. Please go to their website and support them at www.restore. America's National Parks.org. I'm really excited that things are getting more springy around here. Uh, a bunch of things in the Eskelson household are settling down, and we can focus on what we really want to do, which is getting outside for extended periods of time. Even so, we're doing our best to be outside uh, more and more this winter than we are many other winters. I wanted to take a few minutes and update some things that I've learned since I've uh, posted previous episodes of this podcast. In episode two, I talked about my plan and planning generally while doing this podcast. I've had an improved sense of what I need to do and really get where I need to really get ahead of things and what needs to be planned out uh, for my upcoming hike. Also, I've been able to talk with other hikers, whether through hikers or people who've just section hiked and it's informed some aspects of my thinking. Um, Also, there's a lot of just crazy stuff online, and I shouldn't say crazy, good information that gets put out online. Um, For instance, there's an Instagram post this week from the National Park Service, linked in the show notes below, that describes some of the key questions anyone should contemplate before going out on a hike. You know, questions like, what's my experience level with hiking? Is this going to be my first time, or am I a pro how much food, equipment, and other things do I need, and can I carry comfortably in a backpack, et cetera, et cetera? Each of these things is, uh, you know, are, are good questions to ask, and things that everyone ought to consider. I feel fairly confident in uh, in camping and backpacking, but because of that, I also know that I need to be reminded periodically to ensure I take care of and answer basic questions, and not get cocky. The second kind of update is from last week's navigation episode, where we talked about different references available for the Appalachian Trail specifically. There are, there are two other resources uh, a previous through hiker pointed out to me this last week that I really didn't understand or appreciate and wanted to highlight now. The first is uh, what are known as AWOL guides. AWOL is the trail name of a gentleman who um, hiked the AT, obviously. And I've heard about this guide, but I didn't really understand really what it's important was to those who are doing uh, through or section hikes. Not only do you get the big stuff in this guide um, as you get elsewhere, but it also identifies points in the trail where there are people who will come and help you, whether it's a you know individual family or business along the way, um, providing services or selling you services or uh, giving you trail magic. Um what I think is great about it is you know there's these little there's these little places that you wouldn't otherwise know of that he has identified. And I, I think it's great. I think it's really nice. Apparently, there's some lady down in Southern Virginia who, if you knock on her door and go to her house, she will bring you cookies if you're a hiker. And she apparently always has cookies ready to go. The second item on the navigation uh, seen is an app i didn't mention um, which is the gut hook app um, gut hook guides are uh, very good trail guides um, and they've built an app um, and it apparently does a very good job at identifying different parts of the trail and locations of things like uh, springs and different land and human features along with uh, trail help along the along the way of the hike Uh, you can buy it and, or you can download it and then buy certain aspects. For instance, if you just want the Virginia portions of the Appalachian trail, you can only buy that. You can choose to only buy the Appalachian trail sections found in Virginia. Um, but it also has a lot more access to things like the PCT and other long trails uh, throughout the United States. Um, once you buy it and download it, it's available to you on your phone, um, basically forever and you can turn your phone onto airplane mode like you can with the other apps and keep your battery from uh, draining the whole time during the day. I suggest check them both out. Um, Links to these items are in the show notes and uh, perhaps they're something that you would find useful. I know I will. The rest of today's episode is going to be focused on food. And particularly, you know, a couple different aspects of of food. I, you know, one of the things I find most difficult about hiking and I've been really kind of focused on is, you know, what kind of nutrition, how much food do you need to bring, um, how do you get the right kinds of food and nutrition into your system, you know, those sorts of things. And so in this episode, we're going to ask three questions. One, how much food does one need to have when they're hiking? Two, what types of food should be brought, and three, how to prepare the food that's that that we bring, and then um, you know the next next episode I'm going to touch on water. Um, I was thinking about doing that, but I think it's getting, it's going to get a little long. Let's start about the question of how much food to bring with us. It seems like an obvious answer. There's probably some obvious answers, but I don't know that that's accurate. Um, a friend of mine did a a big hike in uh, Wyoming last uh, last fall, and it was beautiful. But one of the things that they noticed that they brought, even though they brought what they thought was a lot of food, they realized they underestimated the amount of food they needed to bring. And so, I started thinking about this and kind of looking at different ways in which people calculate how much food to bring on a hike. It seems that enough is a is a proper response, but you know the question is how much is enough. I mean, I remember growing up, my dad would always make. We had a ton of food when we went hiking and camping because he always wanted to make sure it was enough. But we never really measured it. I mean, back then you didn't. You you know was, you could be 13 and carrying 50 pounds on your back, and no one would even you know. It's not a, not a question. Uh, today we we try. There's a tendency towards trying to lessen the load that you have to carry as much as possible. I mean, I remember my dad even freezing chicken breasts and marinating in teriyaki sauce and bringing them up for a weekend trip. And basically, you know, Friday you'd have your meal and then Saturday you'd have your meals. And then as everyone was settling in and eating their kind of cruddy, dehydrated stuff, on Sunday he would break out this chicken that had been, you know, frozen always solid and it's you know, it's still pretty cool up in the northwest, even in the summertime up in the mountains. And it would be it'd be just thawed enough that he could he would finish thawing it and uh unseal it from the vacuum packs. And then you'd smell these two beautiful chicken breasts cooking over a stove with, you know, a bunch of other stuff and he'd make a huge meal over it and be the envy of camp. Uh, we were never hungry, but as a middle-aged guy, I'm trying to figure out the the balance between things like weight and and uh, you know nutrition and whatnot. The general guide I've read, seen, and heard in a number of places is that you bring a pound and a half to two pounds of food a day. I think that's pretty. I think as we're going to see, that's a good place to be for the Appalachian Trail. And I think it's something that, you know, based on other resources like the Newell's cookbook, um, and, and, other people who really pay attention to this, um, you know, it's, it's a good amount of food. There's a nurse who posts about some of this stuff, um, who deals with nitric- nutrition. Um, and you know, her studies have estimated that you need approximately 4,000 calories a day hiking on average. And so if 4,000 calories is the right answer. I mean, think about how much food that is. Over a 10-day period, that'd be about 40,000 calories. And at that point, when thinking about how much food to carry, we gotta think about how much weight 40,000 calories translates into. And so, you know, we're gonna use the assumption of 120 calories per ounce uh, for food, which is not unreasonable. And then when you divide 40,000 by 120, you get the number of ounces, which is 333 ounces in a third. Divide that by sixteen, because sixteen ounces form a pound, and you get just over twenty pounds of food. Again, similar to the handy guide. There's an even more specific way to figure out how much food to carry. Now, I don't know that this is really relevant for the Appalachian Trail. I think it's much more important if you're going to go out into a place that's a less, that's far more wilderness, um, and crosses fewer towns and you're going to be out in the outback. But I did think it's really interesting. Um, The guys at Backpacking Light have an article and it's posted in the show notes, although I believe a subscription is required, that suggests using a formula to figure out how much energy in the form of calories are required for your hike. So they've taken an equation and calculated how many energy miles it would take to do a hike. So the equation is energy miles equals actually actual number of miles plus a variable n times the elevation gained divided by 1,000. The value of n in this equation varies between the value of 1.3 and 2.0. Depending on the difficulty of the trail, one's pack weight, gender, state of fitness, and other things, case studies have shown that the average variable works out to be 1.6. So we'll use 1.6. On this section hike at the Appalachian Trail, I. Calculate the amount of energy miles I would be hiking as 160 actual miles plus 1.6 our variable times the overall elevation gain for the hike, which is 1865 feet divided by a thousand. This equates into 162.984 actual miles energy. Sorry, energy miles because of the the relatively flat terrain of the Appalachian Trail in this in this place. There's a lot of up and downs, but there's not a lot of sustained climbing. Based on a bunch of math, we I rounded up the energy miles from 162 to 100 point whatever to 163, and I multiply it times 200 calories burned per energy mile. This gives me approximately 32,600 calories needed for this hike. In addition, I need to calculate the number of calories to sustain myself at my basal rate, or the rate of caloric, caloric expenditure I burn just by existing, and add it to the 32,600 calories that I'll need for hiking. My basal metabolic rate is just under 2100, is is around 2100 calories a day. If you round it up, it's it's like 2180. So I round it up to 2200 calories a day. Multiplied by 10 for 10 days, I get a total of 22,000 calories. Add the two numbers together and I get a total caloric need of 54,600 calories over 10 days. So then to figure out how much food do we need to carry, you then take the total number of calories, divide it in terms of the calories per ounce. So, you know, we've talked about averaging that about 120 calories per ounce and you get 455 ounces, which divided again by 16 ends up at over 28 pounds or 2.8 pounds of food a day. Now, I was thinking about how I can reduce this amount, and I figured out that there's three ways. On my first day of hiking, I'll be eating breakfast in Harper's Ferry, and on my last day, I'll be eating dinner at home, so I can plus up some snacks and reduce a day's worth of food. That gets me to 25.2 pounds. I can then, the second way to reduce weight is I can work on recipes where the calories per ounce is greater than 120 so more fats and high caloric food, which will enable me to lower the weight of food I carry. Um, and then third, I can rely on using some of my body fat. I have plenty to lower the amount of food I need to take. Again, to do that, we need to make another calculation. Body fat is contains about you know our, our body contains about thirty five hundred calories of energy per pound of fat. So depending upon my level of fitness, which is okay. And physiological adaptation for using fat reserves for energy generally end up uh, accessing seventy-five percent of those calories to fuel aerobic metabolism. So knowing that I have more than enough body fat, but I'm cognizant that if I go more than, you know, drop more than half a pound a day, um, I could really mess up my metabolism. I can cut the number of calories based on that. So I multiply 10 days times a half a pound of body fat per day times 75% efficiency times 3,500, which is the number of calories per pound, and I get around 13,125 calories. Divide that by 125 calories per ounce, you get 109.375 ounces or 6.8 fewer pounds of food which will put me at 18.35 pounds of food for the entire trip, 18 and a third. I probably should have just come gone with the averages described above of one and a half to two pounds of food per day, which is what this falls into. But I think going through this exercise is useful because I'm hoping to get beyond the Appalachian Trail at some point and do some really more wilderness hiking and uh, long-term camping and there's, you know, But in those situations, it'll be where there's nothing out there except for what's on my back. The AT, as urban and well-supplied as it is, is, will have plenty of food available when needed. So I feel comfortable setting up my food supplies at approximately 1.8 pounds a day or perhaps even less. Before we move on, we'll hear a word from our sponsor. And now we're back. Now that I know how much food I need to bring, what I've actually been obsessing is, you know, what type of food I should bring. Because really I find most backpacking foods pretty gross. Maybe it's the fact that I'm older and better resourced than I was when I was a younger man, or maybe it's because of all those MREs I ate when I was in the army. Or maybe it was because a lot of pre-made backpacking food is expensive, not very nutritious and has a lot of salt. I don't know. There's a lot to be said here. But I've, bu- but I've been trying to read both books and check out the internets to see what makes good backpacking food. Also, I've talked with enough folks who have done experience and have had through hikes at this point that uh, I understand that real through hikers, such as they are, really get to a point where they don't care about what they eat at all. It's all just food. You know, I hope never to get there, but I understand uh, the premise of where they're at. I did find some categories that have really shaped my thinking um, from a gentleman named Brian Grayson who posted in uh, 2014 what he looks for in backpacking food. And I think these categories summarize it well and will help me over the next month as I prepare my menus and uh, go shopping to figure out what it is I really, really want and really need in the backpacking foods. Um, he has several categories that i will go through. I'll identify quickly and then I'll kind of walk through them. The first is that the food is calorically dense. Second, it's easy to prepare with minimal cooking supplies. Third, it's highly nutritious. Fourth, non-perishable. Fifth, appetizing. Sixth, inexpensive. Seventh, versatile. And that's it. I've included the full article in the show notes, Um, it's from 2014, but I I really do think it does good. So let's walk through these in order. First, the food should be calorically dense. As we've already discussed above, we assume 120 calories per ounce and figuring out how much food to bring on a hike. Caloric density has less to do with dehydrated food and more to do with fat content. Fat has just over 250 calories per ounce, 225% more than protein and carbohydrates. For comparison, a bag of mixed nuts has about 185 calories per ounce. A dehydrated pasta meal is about 110 calories per ounce. You can look at all this stuff pretty easily by doing a Google search. Dried fruit has about 85 calories per ounce and foil packages of tuna, salmon, and chicken and fresh produce have about 30 calories per ounce. A very low fat trail diet of fish and fresh produce would require about 90 pounds for a week of food on the trail. A high calorie dense food diet, however, can get us up, get that number down to 16 to 19 pounds. So that's something really to consider is what kind of foods you're going to eat. The second category is easy to prepare with minimal cooking supplies. For the purposes of this hike, since I don't intend to do any long term camping, my focus is on moving, um, my plan is to use a basic stove a cook pot fuel and a spoon my primary goal is to heat up water and reconcentrate dehydrated food because that's what i'm going to prepare and you know pour into that food and and really just keep it nice and warm we'll talk more about this part later the the third part and this is something that i think i'll probably go into more next week is that the food should be highly nutritious because of the limitations of carrying food over long distances it'd be easy to lose vitamins and nutrients over time. Uh, Too many foods laden with sugar and fat, you know, just junky foods, can lead to inflammation and sluggishness, hindering the ability to get through a section hike. The fourth part is that the food should be non-perishable. Lack of refrigeration makes a healthy and varied diet more difficult. So the focus on non-perishable food is obvious. Some foods like hard cheeses will last for days if kept sealed um individually wrapped cheeses like string cheese also pack well and apparently there's a lot of produce with high calories that can be carried at different points in the hike especially if a resupply is needed i don't know that i'll have a resupply but that's that's a good idea bacon and farm fresh eggs can also be carried with you if you need it also if you're cold cold camping uh camping When the temperature is below 40 degrees, it's like the world becomes our fridge and it opens up opportunities for other kinds of foods that normally need refrigeration. The fifth category we're looking at is appetizing. Over time, even the foods you like the most can become unpalatable if you eat them too often. So while this isn't an absolute requirement, it's definitely a morale booster. The sixth is inexpensive. Everybody's got a budget. And finding foods that are inexpensive to eat is a virtue when you're on the trail. I guess a lot of through hikers, you know, people who spend four or five or six months at a time hiking as opposed to working, you know, their budgets may be stretched and they have to be careful. I heard someone say recently that if you're going to hike a trail that has a comma in its distance, then you probably need money in the bank with a comma in your bank account. So I mean, it's it is expensive, but some of the, but there are ways to eat healthy but cheap. Some of the cheapest calories are from things like lentils, whole wheat pasta, oatmeal, peanut butter, olive oil. You know, each are less than a dollar in terms of a thousand calories, and lentils are as cheap as twenty six cents per thousand calories. For comparison, a Mountain House or other brand of prepackaged meals. Runs over twelve dollars per thousand calories, and beef jerky costs about the same. You know, so that's that's something to be that's something to consider. Um, the last category is versatile. Finding food ingredients that can be prepared in multiple ways with varying cook times, like pasta, oatmeal, crackers, cheese, and peanut butter, can allow me to modify meals. And maybe I don't want to cook one night. I don't know. You can save one for one one when uh, I do so those are the seven categories of kind of things I'm going to look for in times of food Um, there's a lot of different recipes out there I think a lot of it is structuring a meal plan that is to my liking both nutritionally as well as you know taste wise so I'm going to be trying things out over the next month or so I don't know quite Um, so the last question we're going to talk about on this episode is how should I prepare the food that I'm going to bring? And this gets into a couple different questions. For instance, what state will the food be in? What type of container should I be using to prepare the food and how will I cook the food? Of course, that question could be, should I even be cooking the food? Um, I know what my biases are and my biases are that I want to, I will probably cook or at least heat up water, in the morning and in the evening. And I'll primarily use food that can be reconstituted just using hot water, so that's easy to do. Lunches will be on the trail and will, will not require cooking. Um, so that's those are my biases, those are my predilections. We'll see how that pans out. Uh, some folks opt not to cook any of the food at all, and they, and so for food that they desire to rehydrate, like oats or pasta or sometimes veggies even, they'll create a container and simply cold soak the food in water while they hike, having their meal ready for them once they get to camp, which sounds cool. Um, I know already that, for instance, I'm going to have some chili on the trail. I've already dehydrated it. Um, For a couple dinners, for breakfast, I normally will eat oatmeal mixed with protein powder that I can heat up quickly and eat in the mornings. Um, The question is, what's the best way to do so? And there's several places you can go and take a look at different options for lightweight cook stoves. To include those which are based on uh, burning fires to cook, think of your biolite, and there's other simpler titanium offerings. Um, I've included in the show notes an article from Backpacking Light that can describe some of these things. There's also a wide number of alcohol burning stoves uh, that are really lightweight, super lightweight, including an apparently famous cat food container stove that's cheap and easy to make. I own three stoves that I've considered bringing, and all three are considered canister stoves because they rely on canisters of fuel that are fed into the stove itself. Um, The first one I own is the original MSR Whisperlite stove. I've owned it for several decades now, and it still works really well. Warm or cold weather, no matter the circumstances, but I wasn't able to move to and from Germany with the fuel canisters that I owned, and I'll need to buy some more before camping. The second, I own a Jetboil Minimo, which is a great way to warm up water quickly. It boils water in two minutes or less. It has a lot of power to it. It's 14 ounces. Uh, for the stove and the container, and it really works great. And the third stove I own is an MSR Pocket Rocket Two. It's a really small two point ounce stove that sits up on top of an MSR or some other similar uh, fuel canister. When coupled with my Tok's 750 milliliter titanium pot, which is only another four ounces, I have roughly a six or seven ounce cook system That can do everything I need it to do. And that's what I'm planning on taking with me. That's less than half the weight of the Minimo. Although the Minimo is easier. And if I was going with my kids. I would bring the Minimo instead. So my plan is to take the Pocket Rocket. And keep everything as small and as light as possible. Boiling my water for my food. And then I'll carry a DIY. Do-it-yourself cozy. To insulate um, the freezer bags. That will have the. Uh, dehydrated food in it. I'll assess how the system works in a couple of shakedown hikes, and on the trail, and let you know about how it worked out after the hike. This is what I did a lot last summer. Um, I carried a lot of pre-made things on the trail for lunches that were just easy and quick to eat. But then on the, you know, in the evenings after I was done hiking. I would make a meal uh, using uh, dehydrated foods and I like the fact that I can structure the meals and structure the uh, structure the, the caloric intake and, and structure all that stuff in a way that is much easier to do than using um, even some of the better uh, pre-made foods that are out there. So in summary, um, there's a couple different ways to calculate how much food to take something like the AT, the the general guideline of a pound and a half to two pounds of food a day is is sufficient, Um, but there are other ways to be more precise. Second, look for a bunch of different foods that have seven different qualities to it, making sure that uh, it's both calorie-dense, easy to prepare, nutritious, non-perishable, appetizing, inexpensive, and versatile. And then last, looking at the different types of ways to prepare the food. I'm not a big fan of keeping food cold. Um, but I understand the need and the desire, not the need, but the desire to keep things more lightweight and simple. So my plan is to go with the hydrated food that I can heat up using a simple pocket rocket stove and uh, a titanium cup. So that's all I have in this episode. I appreciate the fact that you all listened to this and I hope that you heard something that you might find useful for your own backpacking adventures. Um, as I've been reviewing this topic and preparing for my own hikes. Next week, I'll probably be a bit of a hodgepodge. I'll discuss water uh, preparation and consumption as well, probably along with some additional nutritional ideas that I need to flesh out more and a couple of other things that are percolating um, regarding the Appalachian Trail. I look forward to talking to with everyone next week. Please leave uh, this episode uh sorry please leave a review on your podcasting platform it helps and give me your thoughts about food on the trail you can find me on twitter and on instagram at section underscore hiking underscore the underscore at have a great day we'll see you later